0: there, everybody, and welcome to today's presentation of Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes, practical tools to improve your mood and quality of life. Now, normally I do these presentations on Sunday, but it was my son's 18th birthday, so I'm a little behind the eight ball this week. So we're going to move on to just doing it today. Play catch up. Today we're going to be talking about cognitive interventions, and this is just kind of a highlight or hitting some of the um, examples of 100 Plus Practical Tools to Defeat Depression, which is a book I've got coming out in October. Over the next little bit, we're going to define cognitive interventions, explore activities to address perceptions, attributions, cognitive distortions, shoulds, time management issues, and problems with goal setting. So cognitive interventions are things that you do to change how you think about things is the glass half full or half empty when you walk outside Is it partly sunny or partly cloudy whenever I look at my apps? for the weather and they tell me it's partly cloudy or scattered clouds or you know, they have all these different permutations of Saying the same thing. I'm like, why don't you just say it's either sunny or not, but Anyhow, um, we all look at things a bit of a different way. And if I see it as partly sunny, then I might be a little bit more optimistic. Another thing that you can do when you're looking at problems or, or whatever is ask yourself, is this really important to having a rich and meaningful life? Is it really important for me to agree with this, imp- this person? Is it really important for me to get this particular job? Is it really important for me to... Do something else in order to have a rich and meaningful life or is that just something I want, but it's not you know Gonna make or break anything Another question you can ask yourself is what is the yang to this yin? Um, Yang is the excited energetic bright happy side of things and yin is the dark damp cold Side if you want to think about it that way, but generally there is a silver lining, a bright side, and sometimes you have to put on those obnoxious rose-colored glasses to see it. But try to figure out, you know, what is the positive that you can get out of this? Which takes us to the final question you can ask yourself. How can this event make me stronger or what can I learn from it? So maybe you apply for a job and you don't get it and you're feeling really bummed out. All right, you know, That's how you feel. And, you know, if if it's something you wanted, then I totally get how, you know, you might feel depressed for a few minutes. The thing to ask yourself, though, is you can either stay stuck and depressed and resentful and all that kind of stuff, or say, what can I learn from this? Maybe you can go back to the interviewers and go, why didn't I get the job? What could I have done better in the interview? Or what skills do I need to be more competitive for this job? Uh, So there are a lot of things that we can get from adversity. If we just look at adversity as opportunities to learn and grow instead of slaps in the face. So a lot of people don't really realize the impact of their thoughts on their mood. So I really want you to think about that for a minute. And we're going to be on this slide for just just a few. Um, When you have negative thoughts, if you get up in the morning, you get up on the wrong side of the bed, you're just a grumpy Gus, how does that affect your emotions, your feelings. Well, I already kind of said that. You're grumpy. You know, if you're looking at things, you wake up in the morning and you wake up late and it's raining outside, you're like, well, I'm late and it's raining outside versus, well, I got a few more minutes sleep and I don't have to wash my car today. You know, so the way you think about things will impact your feelings. You can either look at things optimistically or pessimistically. When you have stress feelings whether it's anger anxiety or depression that impacts your physiology it impacts your brain chemicals it impacts your hormone called cortisol that's your stress chemical it impacts your hormones and your libido and your sleep and everything else so whether you're happy or you're unhappy will have an effect on your body your health your immune system a lot of stuff and I can tell you when I'm sick I generally tend to be crankier and more pessimistic. So it's always good for me to try to keep my body as healthy as possible. And all of these things affect our behaviors. If you are negative, if you're feeling grumpy or irritable, if you're not feeling well, you're exhausted, you're in pain, you know how is that going to affect your behaviors for the day? You're probably not going to be as productive at work. You're probably going to be more prone to being snitty and snappy with people or, you know, have difficulty concentrating. So let's go on the happy side of things. You know, if you wake up in the morning and you're just like, oh, it's a great day to be alive, you know, we're going to the extremes here. Most of us don't wake up quite that cheerful. But if you have happy feelings, then your cortisol levels are low. Your concentration levels are higher. Your serotonins and some other chemicals that manage your pain and and your energy and your um, ability to focus are higher. So your physiology is in sync. So your, your body's working, your mind's working, you're in sync. So how's that going to affect your productivity, your concentration, how you interact with other people, whether you even want to interact with other people. So any of these things, if they're out of whack, can bring the other three areas down. But any of these things, if it's in whack, if that's you know, whatever the opposite is, any of these areas that are doing well can buffer against problems in other areas. So maybe you're sick and you know it happens. So you a physiological unhappiness or unpleasant place to be. Well, you could let that make you negative and cranky and withdrawn. Or you could use it as an opportunity to get rest. You could think about it as optimistically as possible. You know, well, at least I'll catch up on some reading or my Scrabble games or or whatever it is that you do. Have positive feelings about it. Well, look at it this way. At least I don't have to fight traffic and get to work today because I'm sick on my butt in bed. Um, And one of my favorite, especially if I've got a stomach illness, is, hey, maybe I'll lose a few pounds. But (laughs) You know, all of those things, you can choose to look at illness as, you know, a big downer, which is going to keep you sick longer, or you can try to look at it as optimistically as possible, which takes us to perceptions, which is kind of what we've been talking about. You can perceive something as negative, or you can perceive something as positive. Um, I use the uh, example a lot of dogs, because there's a lot of people that have fears of dogs, and if you experienced an angry dog or a dog chasing you when you were riding your bike when you were when you were younger, um, and that dog was um, nipping at your heels. That might be scary. So you remember that as a scary experience, and that's a schema, which is what they use to call basically our brain shortcuts for things. It says, been here before, bought the T-shirt, burned it. Don't want to go there again. Um, now me, if I see a dog running towards me barking, I'm like, oh, the puppy wants to play, Um, because I haven't had a negative experience or many negative experiences with dogs. So, you know, we can see the same dog doing the same thing, but our perceptions really impact how we think and how we feel about that situation and what we do. Another example is people who are flying. You know, some people are terrified of flying, and other people think it's great. Well, you're on the same airline. You're doing the same your 10 personality. 90% how you perceive it if you perceive it as being dangerous and scary and you know all that stuff or if you perceive it as being you know great because it's a lot faster than driving and somebody else is in charge so you can catch up on your reading two different perceptions angry faces is another thing for perceptions and I'm kind of trying to hit a wide range of things here if you grew up in a household especially that in which there was someone with a mental health issue or an addiction where you weren't allowed to have your own feelings or when that person was in a bad mood, then everybody had to walk on eggshells, if you see angry faces now, you might personalize that and go, no, I better walk on eggshells around this person because they're in a bad mood. Or even worse, you know, children tend to take things personally. If every time one of your household members, one of your parents was in a bad mood, you thought it was something that you did and you continue to just assume if somebody gives you a dirty look that it's something that you did, then that can be really daunting when you're interacting with other people. So I encourage people to challenge their perceptions and look back and say, What other explanations could there be for why this person gave me a dirty look? You know, a lot of times I will be lost in my own thoughts when I'm walking down the hall and I may have a scowl or something on my face and, you know, it may have nothing to do with the people that I'm walking by because I'm not even noticing them. They're noticing me. So it's important to recognize your impact on people, but it's also important to recognize the fact that. You're not the center of everybody else's world. So if they've got an angry face, there could be 10 other reasons they're in a crappy mood and they just happen to be wearing their emotions on their face when they looked in your direction. So one thing you can do to look at this impact of perceptions on your life is a coin flip. In the morning, flip a coin. If it lands on heads, you have got to put on those rose-colored glasses and be as optimistic and obnoxiously positive as possible all day long. When you start feeling yourself getting negative, you need to identify three positive aspects of the situation or three alternate explanations. If it lands on tails, you can do whatever you want to do. And at the end of the day, I want you to think about how However you behaved that day, you know, whether it was heads or tails, how that impacted your thoughts, your moods, your physical feelings, you know, your pain and your energy levels, and your behaviors. How productive were you? How energetic were you? Another activity, because a lot of people who are watching this are probably adults, you know, I'm thinking the majority, and you may have kids at home. Well, it's never too early or too late to start teaching children to be cognitively aware. So one of the things you can do is get a big beach ball and on it write 20 things that can be arbitrary, um, can be irritating or scary, and toss the beach ball to somebody. And they have to find at least one optimistic or non-threatening way to look at whatever item they see when they look down at the ball. So, you know, we'll stick with dogs for this one. You know, you throw it to your child and it comes up dog. And they're like, okay, dogs can be really scary. But, you know, what's another optimistic way to look at it? What is another reason the dog might be barking? Um, You know, maybe it's barking to protect its house. So if you're not going into its space, then it's probably not going to come to yours. So there are a lot of different ways to look at things. But this encourages people to take their most common stressors and try to find a happy restatement. You know, for kids, there are a lot of stressors that revolve around school and tests and those sorts of things. So those things can go on those beach balls. Now, attributions are similar to perceptions. Perceptions are how you think about things. Attributions are where you put the um, onus on. I need to find a better word for that. But attributions say this is where it happened from. Whether it's internal, it was something that you did, Or it's external. So if I'm walking down the street and I trip, you know, I could either say, I am a klutz, that's internal to me, or I can say there was a crack in the sidewalk or my shoelaces were untied and I tripped. That's an external attribution. It has nothing to do with me as a person. It has something to do with my environment that caused the situation. What's the point of this? Well, if you have... A really internal locus of control you may try to think that you control everything and everything's about you which adds a lot of stress if you have an external locus of control you think that the environment controls everything and nothing that you do matters that adds a lot of stress so we need to be very conscious of what things we can control and what things we can't another type of attribution is global or specific So, you know, something can happen, you know, I always use the example of math because math is not my strong suit. And I could say, after I didn't do so well in a math class or on a math test, I could say, I'm stupid. You know, when it comes to calculus, yes, I am really not good at calculus. But calculus is very specific. I am stupid means I'm stupid about everything. But when I say I am bad at calculus, well, that's very specific. And, you know, being good or bad at calculus isn't going to make or break whether I have a rich and meaningful life. And the other aspect of attributions, is it stable or changeable? So if it's something that you can't change, like being clumsy or, um, you know, some of us just don't have good balance, um, or is it changeable? Like your shoelaces were untied. You can fix shoelaces. So, we want to try to, whenever something happens, look at what parts of it we can control, accept the parts that we can't control, make sure we're not overgeneralizing and saying, I am this way or it's this way all the time, and then identify which parts can be changed. It's important to remember that there's always or nearly always good or bad in everything. If you look at the um, yin and yang symbol, you'll see that there's a little bit of each in in each side. And that's how we balance things out. So yes, there's going to be some drawbacks to just about everything. But most everything also has at least some positives or some things that you can grasp onto as well. So activities. um, To figure out what your attributions are and to practice getting a more stress-neutral attributional style. Um, It's important to figure out how you think about things. If you say, I blame other people for making me unhappy. Well, you know what? Other people are going to make you unhappy forever because it just happens. They may not mean to, but they may. So, okay. One way you can look at that is say, other people can do things that I'm unhappy about, but I can choose what to do with those feelings. So I can choose to stay angry and riled up and nurture it and dwell on it. That doesn't do any good. It actually, you know, drains my energy and negatively impacts me in all those areas. Or I can say, okay, you know, that what that person did made me unhappy. I can address it in these particular ways. You can either choose to stay stuck or you can choose to improve the next moment. When you fail at something, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, I'm so stupid. It could be that you're not good at that particular thing. I know there are things that I am not good at. Woodworking and math, those rise high. Anything electrical, that's big too. And I understand that. You know, I try to stay away from any of those things. But I recognize that nobody's perfect. And I'm a good person. And there are a lot of things that I'm really good at. There are a lot of things I'm not. But that's okay. It doesn't make me any less of a good person. And finally, sometimes people will say things like, I'm depressed. and Yes, you are feeling depressed right now. But if you say, I am depressed, that's one of those global statements that is relatively unchangeable. If you say, I am feeling depressed, feelings can be changed. And if you say, I am feeling depressed right now, well, that means that there are times when you haven't been depressed before. And yes, it's semantics. But when you start using stress-neutral words and thoughts, then it has an impact on your feelings, your physiology, and your behaviors. So cognitive distortions. These, you know, that's a, I don't like that term. I usually call them unhelpful thoughts. It sounds much less clinical. Um, But it basically means that a lot of us and from the time we're knee-high to a grasshopper we may think about things in ways that are not exactly accurate so there are some really common ones that I've identified here Ar- arbitrary inference which means making assumptions without all the facts so if so- your kid goes in and takes a test and they walk out and they're just like oh my gosh I failed that test I'm never going to get into college and they go into this you know anxiety tizzy You know, that's arbitrary inference. They haven't even gotten their scores back yet. They don't know what the curve is. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. If John comes home from work and he smells like perfume and it's not his wife's perfume, you know, she could get really upset. What she doesn't know, maybe, is that he went and he bought her a birthday gift And happen to walk through the department store and get spritzed by one of those annoying people that stands around and spritzes you. Uh, So, you know, those are all things that can happen where we can jump to conclusions. Another common one these days is, you know, if you text somebody and they don't text back, people can assume that that person is mad at you or they don't care about you or, you know, something negative. When in actuality, the person, their cell phone died or, you know, In the interim they had to go to the bathroom and they chose not to take their cell phone in there and text you while they were on the potty you know there are a lot of things that could explain why a person doesn't text you back right away selective abstraction and whenever i work with clients i encourage them if they have a habit of jumping to conclusions to identify three other explanations for why it happened selective abstraction means seeing only what you want to see or don't want to see and i I know you're like, well, why would I see what I don't want to see? If you're in that negative mindset, you could see the negative in things. And we don't typically want to see the sky falling. But if you're in that negative mindset, you're going to focus on all those negative things that day instead of, and and you're probably not going to pay much attention to the positives. So try to get into a mindset where you're seeing the positive. Another example is, you know, when you're in a relationship, A lot of times they say love is blind. Well, that's because when you're in love, especially that first six months where you've got all kinds of hormones and adrenaline and everything else going, you're seeing the positive. You're in that positive frame of mind. So you're not seeing any of the things that eventually start grating on your nerves. So when you have an opinion that seems to be kind of extreme, Try to step back and look objectively at the facts for and against your feeling or belief. And that'll help you get, you know, both the positive and possibly negative sides of it. Overgeneralization means generalizing things about one situation to all other situations, such as saying, you know, all men are dogs because you were in a bad relationship with one um, or three. But, you know, we want to look at that and say, you know, number one, you know, are there exceptions to this rule? You know, what is what is common about the three men you were in a relationship with that were dogs? And what part do you play in it? Because sometimes we might gravitate towards situations that repeat themselves. So if we step back and go, you know, what's different about, you know, your best friend's boyfriend who's not a dog. Um, So if you you can identify the fact that there are exceptions to this. And I would, I always say three. I don't know why. I like the number three. Magnification and exaggeration means blowing something out of proportion. Like the example I gave coming home after taking a test and going, oh my gosh, I failed that test. I'm going to fail out of college, never get into grad school. I'll never have a job. Or if you, you know, get in trouble at work, coming home and going, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired, then we're going to lose our house and we're going to be homeless and blah, blah, blah. You know, people can take things to an extreme. I encourage people when something happens to play it out and ask themselves if they're confusing high probability with low probability things. If you get in trouble at work, what is the probability that you're actually going to get fired? You may get written up, but what is the probability? probability you're going to get fired. So, you know, looking at that and figuring out, you know, is this a mountain or is it really a molehill that just feels really bad right now? Personalization means feeling like everything is your fault or a personal attack. So again, stepping back and asking yourself, what are three alternative explanations for this person's behavior or for this situation that have nothing to do with me? And finally, polarized thinking. That's all or nothing. And most of us do this occasionally. You know, you notice I didn't say everybody does this because, you know, that's polarized. That's saying everyone. I don't know everybody. Um, But when we look at things, it's rare that something happens all the time. I mean, yes, you're born and you die. That happens. Um, But, you know, even eating spinach. You know, you can eat spinach every day of the year for five years and be fine. And then on that January 1st of that sixth year, you eat it and get E. coli. Um, And then maybe, you know, six months later, you eat it again and get E. coli, heaven forbid. Um, But can you say that every time you eat spinach, it gives you E. coli? No. No. Uh, but it just may feel like that. So we want to back up and look for exceptions. What are times that I've eaten spinach that I haven't gotten sick? So look at your current stressors. Make a list of them and examine them for these unhelpful thoughts. Are you jumping to conclusions? If so, find the facts. Are you only seeing half of the situation? If so, argue the other half. Try to find the other half. If you're overgeneralizing, find exceptions. If you're magnifying or exaggerating something or making something really catastrophic, ask yourself what is the likelihood that things are gonna get to that point? What is the probability? If you feel like it's personal, step back and find three alternatives that have nothing to do with you. And polarized thinking, look for exceptions. Another thing that you can do if for yourself or if you've got a family um, is have an emergency card or you know have it on your on your uh, mobile device or have a poster at, at the house if you've got kids so when people start using unhelpful thoughts they can remember to ask themselves these questions do I have all the facts am I seeing the whole situation am i using moderate words like sometimes occasionally or often Am I making sure not to devote too much attention and energy to something that really won't matter in a few days or weeks? And have I considered possible explanations besides it being all about me? Now, that doesn't hit everything, but that hits most of the highlights. And if you can answer these positively, then you can generally talk yourself down from a negative emotional state or figure out what the next step needs to be to improve the next moment. So the ABCs, I've talked about these before, but we're going to hit the highlights here. A is the activating event or whatever it was that happened. C is the consequence. You got upset or whatever your reaction was. B are the those automatic, often unhelpful thoughts or beliefs that happen in a split second. So activating event, I'm out hiking and... I'm running, and I turn a corner, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty steep drop. The, the trail goes right next to the edge of the, the drop-off. I'm terribly afraid of heights. So I run, I turn that corner, and I see that. That's the activating event. My reaction, my co- the consequence is I get scared as crap. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So what were my automatic thoughts between the time I turned that corner and had that fear reaction... My brain said, that is a long drop. If you fall off of there, you're going to (laughs) die. And you better back up because, you know, you're not the most coordinated person in the world. Uh, You know, those were probably three automatic beliefs. Are they accurate? Yes. Are they, you know, if we go back to those unhelpful thoughts, is it likely? Was I magnifying the situation? Yeah. The chances of me falling off are pretty slim. Um, But that's how things happen you get cut off in traffic you get angry in between there you had this split second where your brain said that person could have killed you you they're being rude they don't care that led to your feelings or the consequence okay so let's take a happy one um you come you come home and you see that there are cars in the driveway and you get a smile on your face Because you know that somebody's planned a surprise party for you, you know The B in your mind was I have this belief that these people are here for some sort of celebration Or we're going to have a dinner party or something and if you're an extrovert you thrive on that stuff So you're like, oh score. How awesome is that? Um, So those are things I mean we do have the same thing for happy feelings so you can change your beliefs to change the consequence when you have an unhappy reaction, an unpleasant reaction, there are also a, there's also a D and an E. So something happens. The we'll stay with jogging on the cliff, um, and I have all those scary automatic thoughts. I get scared. So D is determine if my beliefs and the consequences are rational and constructive. Is it rational to think I'm going to fall off? Well, not if I'm being careful, and. Is it constructive to stand there and be scared about it? No. You know, I back away and move on. And then E is evaluate whether the situation is worth your energy of continuing the reaction. Should I continue to stay, like, freaked out or just back away from the cliff and continue to go on my run? We can apply this to any situation. The D and the E are crucial because a lot of times we have this feeling But then our beliefs and the consequences, we stay stuck and we dwell on it. That is not constructive. Constructive is saying, okay, I am angry right now. That tells me I'm perceiving a threat. How can I improve the next moment? So who says people can be miserable because they're doing, feeling, and thinking the way they think they should? When kids are about two, they go through that why phase. Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to go to bed? And most of the time, we end up responding with, "Uh, because I said so, or that's just the way it is. And this often teaches children not to think, because they learn, if they ask questions, they're not going to get an answer anyway. So they start becoming passive receptacles of information, and they don't question things. So I encourage you to go back and look over your own shoulds. Because we should ourselves a lot. Um, And when you have a should, ask yourself. Like, for example, I should keep a clean house at all times so people don't look down on me. Okay. You know, it would be nice to keep a clean house all the time. But should I? Who said, who taught me this? My mother. Okay. Is there an alternate belief? A clean house is not the ultimate priority and needs to be balanced with other life demands. If I don't get everything spick and span, if I don't bleach every single week, no really catastrophic things are going to happen. So, you know, encouraging myself to use more stress-neutral thoughts. Optimism is a way of changing the perception of a situation. And when I do this in group, you know, I have somebody describe their day and then we talk with them about how they feel. You know, if they said they had a really bad day, I'm like, okay, well, how do you feel emotionally and physically? And they may say drained and frustrated or whatever. Okay, cool. And then I asked the group, after hearing John talk about his day, how do you all feel? And a lot of times they'll say something very similar. My goal is, to get people to understand how they impact other people. If you are happy and positive and optimistic, it's contagious. If you are negative and stressed out and cranky, it's contagious. Uh, In a family, you can do the same thing at dinner or whatever. Have people talk about how their day was. And then you can process how everybody feels after hearing about that person's day. You know, they can feel... um, happy for them, they can feel congratulatory, they can feel stressed out. Uh, Not only does this help the person recognize their impact on others, but it also helps them identify their own emotions and it validates their emotions. So if they describe their day and they're just like, oh, I'm exhausted, and other people are like, I'm exhausted just hearing about it, that's very validating. Uh, Worry and regret are two byproducts of pessimism that drain your energy but serve no functional purpose. So... I try to use the analogy like gasoline. If you've got a gallon of gasoline and that's all the energy you have, you know, for the day, you can either use that gallon of gasoline to get stuff done and be productive and maybe go on a run or whatever it is you like to do. Or you can take it and you can pour some over here in the past and that, that's regret. Those are the things that you're regretting and you're using energy thinking about and dwelling on and beating yourself up for. And you can pour some out here the future and that's your worries and you're using your energy worrying about what your boss is gonna say worrying about the bills worrying about something else that you don't even know yet and then you're left with like a quarter gallon of gas when you're finished to do today well that doesn't leave you with much to improve the next moment so figuring out how you can let go of regret and let go of worry is a big step into helping you feel more empowered and less helpless and hopeless and exhausted and depressed. So what do you do? Identify your worries. You know, I'm worried that whatever, and then make a positive restatement. You know, maybe you're, you've got the, a spot on your arm and you're worried that it's skin cancer. Okay. What's a positive restatement you can have about that. And you're like, well, skin cancer, you can't, you can. Um, So, if you're worried that that's skin cancer, the positive restatement is, I'm glad I'm checking my skin regularly so I can go get it looked at and addressed before it becomes a big issue. Regret is something you did in the past. You know, you may regret that you didn't get a degree in computer science as opposed to a degree in, you know, psychology. And uh, yeah, okay. Well, but that's the past. You can't change the past. So how can you restate that? You can either say, I can still go back to school, or you can focus on the positives of having a degree in psychology. There are a lot of different things, but you can't change that. So continuing to beat yourself up for it 10, 15, 20 years later, ain't going to do any good. It's just going to drain your energy and harm you emotionally and physically. Positive things that you can do to help with depression, because remember, depression is that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that just sucks your energy and keeps you from feeling pleasure. Affirmations are positive statements that encourage you to feel empowered and optimistic, such as, I am a good person. I can do this. I will have a good day today. I choose to let this go. There are a lot of different affirmations. You can Google online and find a bunch of different positive affirmations if you can't think of your own, but it's always helpful to include affirmations during the day. So one thing you can do is have an affirmations journal where you write affirmations every morning, every evening, whenever to help remind yourself about what you are, the positive things about you and what you're capable of. You can do the online affirmation research to find other ways and other affirmations to apply to yourself. If you live in a household with other people, or if you're in a therapy group or something, you can do something called the affirmation envelope pass. Everybody has an envelope with their name on it, and you pass around the envelope, and every person in the group writes an affirmation about every other person. So when you get your envelope back, you know, if there's five people in your, in your family, then you have five little notes in there that are positive affirmations about you, such as you are awesome, you are um, determined or, or whatever. Another thing that you can do if you don't want to do the envelope pass, because sometimes kids think that that's corny, start each meal with a positive affirmation. And, you know, this is kind of how you Begin the meal so everybody goes around and says something positive like it was a tough day, but I made it or I'm grateful that Yada yada, so you're starting the meal off on a positive note You can also start breakfast off on a positive note if you eat a family breakfast together to encourage kids to start the day positively Time management is one of the most elusive and devastating of all the coping skills when you don't manage your time well, it leads to poor evaluations at work Friends getting mad at you or failing to take care of things important, so then you're mad at yourself. So thinking about all the ways poor time management affects your life and your relationships is really important because in order to change your time management, you have to be motivated to do it. So when you're distressed because you have too many things to do and not enough time, how does it affect you? You know, do you feel exhausted, overwhelmed, powerless? I know I do. So time management is a really important skill. So. In the book, I talk about different time management styles. You can Google those as well. Identify your time management style and explore ways to address the pitfalls of that style, such as, I know it's a surprise, I'm a type A. So I tend to feel a lot of pressure to get things done. Um, But that can mean that I have focus on one area of my life and then other things, you know, fall by the wayside instead of having a well-balanced focus. Uh, So I need to actually schedule in, if you will, time and be disciplined about leaving work at work and focusing on the family when I'm home. Another activity that you can do with time management is make a list of all of your to-dos for this week and all of them and figure out how you can eliminate any that really don't matter if you don't get them done this week, like maybe taking your dry cleaning in. Maybe that can wait till next week. What can you delegate to other members of your household um, team members at work, whatever. What can you combine? Like a lot of times, I'll combine calling, calling my mother or calling my friend while I'm driving to work or driving home from work. Or I will catch up on my favorite TV series while I'm doing the laundry. What can you simplify? You don't have to make a meal from scratch every night. So maybe you need to, you know, order in for a couple of nights. The kids will be thrilled. Um, What other things can you simplify? Maybe you can hire somebody to mow your yard if you don't have time to do that. I guess that would be more of a delegate, but whatever. And prioritize what's left because there are some things that have to be done, like paying the electric bill, and then there are other things that, you know, you really need to get done, like the laundry. But if it doesn't get done by Thursday, it's not going to be the end of the world. You just need to get it done soon. When you set goals, you know, you t- do your time management. You figure out how to eliminate, delegate, prioritize, all that stuff. Now you have stuff left, and you've got to set goals for how to get it done. Goals must be purposeful. There has to be a reason to do it. Like, I had to do laundry because the pair of pants I'm wearing today was a pair of pants I wanted to wear today. So I was motivated to do the laundry. When you're setting goals, whether it's a daily goal or a bigger goal, use a decisional balance exercise if you need to get motivated. Identify the benefits of staying the same. So for the laundry, I was looking around going, well, you know, I don't really feel like doing it. I'd like to go to bed a little bit earlier. Um, So those would be benefits. If I do the laundry right now, I'm going to be up until 10 o'clock, you know, getting it out of the dryer and everything. That was a drawback. Okay, that was that. But what what were the benefits to doing it? The benefits to doing the laundry were I'd have the pair of pants that I wanted to wear today that were clean and, and ready to go. And the drawback to not doing it was I didn't have anything else that I really wanted to wear. So yeah, I know I'm kind of rigid about that. But that's just an example of a daily goal. We want to do the same thing for larger goals like stopping smoking and changing our thinking patterns, etc. One way you can do this is state, the change I want to make is, such as, I want to improve my cardiovascular fitness, or I want to um, be more assertive. My main reasons for making this change are, what are the likely consequences of inaction? So if I don't become more assertive, what are the consequences going to be? Which motivations for change are most compelling? which means, why do I really want to do this? The first steps I plan and take to take in changing are, so you're making step-by-step goals. First, I need to learn what assertiveness is. Then I need to learn how to be assertive. Then I need to practice it, yada, yada. When, where, and how will the steps be taken? So to learn about what assertiveness is and how to do it, maybe I need to go to the library and check out a book. Okay, so I will do that on Monday. So you're setting goals that can be accomplished and marked off. Some things that could interfere with my plan to change are, you know, maybe you've got some big project coming up that's going to distract you or, you know, I don't know, with assertiveness there shouldn't be a lot to get in your way. How will I stick with the plan despite particular problems or setbacks? So if you have this big project coming along but you do want to do this self-improvement goal, how can you stick with the plan? maybe scheduling in an hour of me time each day to focus on that so you're not getting behind in your plan to change. Other people could help me in changing in these ways. So with assertiveness, you know, other people can practice assertiveness and, you know, maybe you can role play with other people. And I will know that my plan is working when? Well, when you look back and you notice that you're using more assertive communication when you're Um, disagreements with other people become fewer and farther between, however you're defining it. So this is a way to define goals, identify why you want to do it, identify potential obstacles and address them before they bite you in the butt, and maintain your motivation. So the way people think and perceive situations has a huge impact on how they feel. Embracing dialectics, that means the positives and the negatives of every situation, can help you feel more positive and empowered because you can see that it's not just all bad. Um, just like it's imperative to add happy emotions, when we talked about emotional interventions, it's imperative to add happy thoughts. You know, If you've got happy emotions, you've probably got happy thoughts, but you, know, you need to add those in. When you notice that you're being a negative Nelly, try to add some positives to it. By practicing optimism and addressing unhelpful thoughts, you can reduce your overall stress, sleep better, gain more energy, and feel less helpless, hopeless, and depressed. Alrighty, everybody, I will see you next Sunday for, what are we doing? Physical interventions to address depression. If you like this podcast, you can join our Facebook group at docsnipescom slash Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or join our community and access additional resources at DocSnipes.com.